Good morning. We are preaching through the New Testament book of Hebrews, and the theme of this book we've seen is Christ exalted. We've already seen something of how highly Christ is exalted. We've seen something of the greatness of his salvation. And as we continue to work through this uh, letter to the people of God, it's as if a door is being opened wider and wider to display the greatness of Christ, that we might see how wondrous he is. Last week, we saw that even when all that we can see around us, it seems to be just brokenness and trouble, uh, even in those times, we still can see Christ who went to the cross for us. We can see that his tomb is empty. The one that entered death for us is alive, ever lives to intercede for his people. This morning we see more of how Christ who has gone into and through death for us, how he is always leading the way for us. So we're going to go back to verse 9 that we covered last week as a way of introducing our main section, which is verses 10 to 13. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that God for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. In verse 10, Christ is called the founder of our salvation. Now, the, the Greek word here, translated founder, is a word that has lots of applications, was used many ways. It uh, could be applied to someone who is the founder of a city or even the founder of a nation. Uh, it was used for someone who was a hero or someone who was a, a captain leading people in combat. Uh, it was used for someone who is a pioneer of a new work. In all of these uses of the word we see here as founder, we see that it involves someone who is leading people to a new future. And that is how here the 
the author wants us to think of Christ, someone who is leading us into a new future. He is our trailblazer. He is going ahead where we couldn't go, what we could not accomplish. And so we see today, Jesus is the one who leads where no one else has gone and where no one else can take us. And I'd like to think of this in in three ways. The first is that Jesus takes us where no one else has gone. Verse 10, it says, he leads us to glory. It was fitting that God for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. It is Christ who leads us to glory, which means to dwell in the presence of God. No one else can take us to dwell in the presence of God. And such a statement that falls so easily from our lips. He takes us to glory. Consider the the significance of, of what he is saying. What does he mean by glory? Someone is taking us directly to the presence of God where we get to stay. Where we get to call home. He, he enables us to live as, as we were created to. We think of the picture in the Garden of Eden where it speaks of God in some way, a manifestation of God who would appear and, and walk with Adam to communicate, to interact, that Adam would know God, feel comfortable with God, communicate that They would be friends whose lives were engaged together, but we know all of that has been lost. Sin has separated us from God. It cast us from the garden of Eden he created, and the way was shut behind us. Adam could not enter back in. Jesus leads us to glory. He leads us where God is. And he leads us to God's presence in a way that when we arrive, we're fit to be there. In verse 11, it it speaks of Christ as the one who sanctifies and we who are now sanctified. No matter how hard you try, no matter how sincerely you try, you cannot make yourself fit for the presence of God. Recently, when our grandkids were staying at our house, Debbie would have lots of craft projects for them. And one day they made clay and then created figures. And the boys were very excited about what figures they were going to make, which basically were all sorts of dinosaurs. Amazing how two boys who are terrified if a cat comes in the room are ready to make dinosaurs. 
But they were anticipating, they knew all these types of dinosaurs they were going to be making, giving us the names, and they had all the colors that those dinosaurs were supposed to be, and they, they worked long through the afternoon fashioning these dinosaurs, which when they're done, to me, look like just a variety of lumps of clay all stuck together. One bunch of lumps of clay pretty much looked like the other lumps of clay. Some were taller, some were flatter. But in their mind, they were dinosaurs, each distinct in their own way. We're not any more capable of fashioning ourselves to be fit for God than those boys were able to actually make something that looked like a dinosaur. They had the vision in their mind. They knew what it's supposed to look like. It's just awful hard to get there. And that's where we find ourselves. But Christ sanctifies us. He does it. He makes us clean by taking the guilt of our sin. He makes us right in our soul by giving us a new birth. He awakens within us a knowing and a loving of God so that we desire him. All that is ungodly is, is being removed until there will be nothing left that is ungodly. And we will become full of the beauty of what God made us to be as image bearers or as elsewhere in the scripture says, and we will be like Christ. That is why he is the one that must lead us. He's leading us into his life and heart, his love for the Father. He's leading us into his relationship with the Father. Whatever the world claims will make you complete, if you think this way, if you follow this path, if you embrace this ideology, and, and this will make life fulfilling for you, it will do no more so than those clay figures. It will not be what God created you to be, the image bearer of himself. If you're debating in your mind whether or not Christ really is worth following, if what he has to say is a, a better path than what you're hearing, than the loud voices around you, I'd encourage you just spend time and look at Jesus' life. Not what you think maybe about him or what others say. Look at his life yourself. Read 
Just read the descriptions of how Jesus lived. Listen into those conversations he had with people and see what he did. How he healed and made whole, how he forgave and restored how he gave worth and value to those that the world didn't care about. Look at Jesus himself and consider, is that not a man worth trusting and following? Is he not someone that you need leading you? Jesus leads us to glory, making us fit as he brings us. And then he is leading us to the presence of God with a relationship with God. Verse 11 says, he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus calling you brother. Sister, he doesn't just lead us into God's presence. He leads us into God's family. You can't barge in to a family. You can barge into someone's home. You can't barge into their family. The family has to bring you in. A few years ago, uh, the mother of a family, just one of the dearest families in the world to me. She passed away. Her name was Helen. And when time was close, the family asked if I would travel to Indiana to conduct the funeral when Helen died. They had six children, all who I went to college with and knew and uh, loved them dearly. And when I arrived, uh, the siblings got together. And they, they wanted me to read the obituary. One of the, the greatest honors of my life. They had included me in the obituary as one of the children. I could not have put myself there. Called the paper. Could you put me down as one of Helen's kids? The family, they invited me and put me there as a statement of love, as an expression of their hearts. Jesus, Jesus calls you his, his brother, his sister. Jesus says that. Jesus says, you're with me. He, he takes us to the Father to say, here, here is another one of your children. 
safely here. Here is another one that you have loved through eternity. And now they are here with us forever. That's where Jesus takes us. No one else can take us there. Only him. Think of the implications of being in the same family as Jesus, the Son of God. What does that mean in terms of you being accepted? Maybe you've been carrying the sense of, of abuse and brokenness, of how you haven't fit in, how you've been treated, maybe betrayed, slandered, all sorts of, of reasons where you don't feel accepted. When you are called by Jesus, my brother, my sister, when, when we see in verse 13, the Lord said, you are my child. That's a statement, you are accepted here. You belong. What does it say of our security that cannot be lost? In God's hands, so you're always safe. Safe for eternity, safe for him. What does it say about our hopes that they're not wishes? Our hopes are an actuality. Our hopes are the Lord God. Our hopes are Christ, where he is taking us. Our hopes cannot be lost. These are all the things that we are to think of when we see what Jesus calls us, where he's taking us. And as we think of the implications of what it means that we are these brothers and sisters, not only of Christ, realize it's, it's also with each other. Equally true of every other believer, brother, sister. That's how Jesus refers to them. The Lord God saying, my child. We need to be careful how we think, speak of fellow believers of whom Jesus says, brother, sister. The Lord God saying, child. We must be careful. It doesn't mean we don't speak to those things in our brothers and sisters. Family needs to have serious conversations at times. Still family. Jesus takes us where no one else has gone and Secondly, connected directly to this is in that Jesus is taking us where only he can take us. 
When Jesus became flesh, he became the founder of our salvation, or as the New Testament also speaks of it, he became the new Adam. Adam, the beginning of humanity, the first man, all of us coming from him. But when the first Adam rebelled against God and sinned, his very nature was corrupted, and he passes on his nature to all of his descendants. So we are all born, the Bible says, born in sin, all born with a sinful nature that we see very clearly in the heart of every cute, wonderful little child who is preeminently selfish. doesn't change in us. We just become more sophisticated in how we display it. Humanity has never been able to fix what was lost because we're all guilty. We can't fix each other. We're guilty. We can't get rid of our guilt. We can try to change behavior. We can't stop being guilty for our sin before God. But we're told here that Jesus, verse 10, was made perfect through suffering. Not in the sense of he became perfectly righteous, he eternally was righteous. He was made perfect, he was made fit through his suffering in the world and suffering on the cross, he became fit to be the one who represents us, the one who takes us to the Father. He became a perfect mediator. He's the one that can actually take us, introduce us, bring us into the presence of God. And he does this because he was also perfect sacrifice. The man who never sinned, who went to the cross not bearing any sin for the the Father's wrath to be upon, but he took our guilt upon himself because he was also the Son of God. He could take our guilt, make it his own, and be our substitute, our sacrifice, to receive what our sin deserves on himself instead of us. Jesus now is the new Adam. He is the one whose perfect and godly nature is now passed down. We are in Christ. We receive his righteousness. And now we are a new people, acceptable to God, fit for his kingdom. Jesus alone could open all of God's character to us. God is holy. He cannot accept sin. He can't compromise with it. He's completely, perfectly holy, and he's perfectly just, so he must punish every sin, wherever it is. He cannot not punish any sin because perfectly holy, perfectly just. God is also immeasurably loving kind, patient, gracious, 
but because of our sin, all that we could draw forth from God was what we deserved. So we could only know God in his holy wrath against our sin. In Christ, not only is that wrath poured out, but now the the way is open for all of God's graces to be experienced by us. So in Christ, the full measure of God's character, only through him can all of his character be ours. For his holy justice is satisfied, and now his love and grace is poured out. And so through Christ, we receive the full measure of God's grace and only grace. So even when the world throws at us that which is evil, God doesn't let it touch us without grace being embedded in it. Jesus takes us where no one else has gone No one else can take us where Jesus does. And last, I want to look at what this passage says about Jesus' heart as he leads us. No one has his heart for us as he leads us. As we've already seen in verse 11, he is not ashamed to call them brothers. The Lord Jesus who sees everything Everything about you, nothing is hidden. Nothing is hidden. And he says, I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not ashamed to associate with you. I'm not ashamed to say, you are mine. We're together. God has no shame for those who are his. None. In John 13, it says he, he loves us to the end, meaning as far as it goes, never ceasing. So whatever shame you have, Christ has taken it And he's buried it in his love, and it cannot be found. You may have it in your mind, but it is your thought or the enemy's temptation. It is never God's thought of you, toward you. There is no shame, because Jesus took every last bit of guilt. Anything that was shameful has been cast from us forever. Secondly, Jesus wants us to know 
as he's leading us to the Father, he wants us to know how wondrous the Father is, how faithful the Father is, so that as we are being led to the glory of the Father's presence, that it is all expectation for us. It is all joy for us. He wants us to know the reception that we receive, how wondrously rejoicing the Father is that we are coming to him. In verse 12, he quotes from Psalm 22 saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. He's speaking about the Lord. I will tell of your name, Lord, to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise to them. Now, if you're familiar with Psalm 22, that psalm is a description predominantly of Jesus suffering on the cross. It, it lays out plainly the agony, the pain, the sorrow, all that Jesus would suffer on the cross. And, and after all of these statements of suffering and agony, Jesus transitions right from the honesty of what he would bear on the cross to his heart while he's doing it. He goes to the cross rejoicing that he is saving us, that by this we can come to the Father. And he wants us to see our reception. And so he lifts up the Father to us. No, my Father, love him. See how wonderful he is. Rejoice, you're on your way to be with him. In Jesus' hardest moments, he points us to where his hope was so that in our hardest moments, we would realize what we need most in this moment is to know the realities of God. He's our Father. He chose us. He saved us. He came to us. So that when life doesn't make sense and evil's very real around us, that we would know the eternal love and graces of the Father far and eternally exceed the evil we experience. Thirdly, Jesus leads us to trust the Father. He wants us to know that this one who is so wondrous then can be trusted as we go through struggles. Verse 13, he goes on and he says, again, I will put my trust in him. And here he's quoting from Isaiah 8, where the prophet is told that the Assyrians are being sent against Israel as God's judgment for their rebellion. And so the prophet Isaiah, even as he's thinking of the sorrow that will come as the Assyrians conquer the people, he's, he's saying, but Lord, I will trust you as we go through this. Because the, the prophet Isaiah 
knew why God was doing it. What is God's purpose? What is God's end? What is this leading to? And that is here what we're saying. Jesus quotes to us. He puts his trust in the Father so that we will trust in him. Because we know how it ends. We know how it ends for Jesus. The one who tasted death in verse 9, what does it say then? And he is now crowned with glory and honor. The son who came and faithfully carried out the father's will to save is now with his father, crowned in honor, reigning with him. And we see how did it end up for Jesus when he was crucified, when he was slandered, when he was betrayed, when people didn't understand him? How did it end up for him? And we will, the Bible actually says, oh, and you're going to reign with him. We end up with him, co-heirs, family members, reigning with him. When we see how it ended for Jesus, we know, and that's where we're going. And lastly, Jesus keeps us. Again, verse 13, behold, I and the children God has given me. We were given to Christ to save, and everyone he saves, he keeps. Jesus does not go to the cross and bear the wrath of the Father for those that he lets slip through his fingers. He does not save us to at some point not care that much what happens. He does not save us to neglect us, to catch up some time to what's going on. The one who died to save lives to keep. He will never lose you. He cannot neglect you. And so again this morning, we see Christ is exalted. Again we see it is a great salvation. And we see that he himself is the one who leads us. You are not the trailblazer of your life. You don't have to find your way. You don't have to make your way. We're following him. So every day, what is it that you need to do? Every day, what do you need to do? And the answer is to fill your heart with Jesus. Every day, fill your heart with Jesus, the exalted one, the great Savior, the one who leads and keeps you. That's your to-do list today. 
and no one can take that from you. No one can get in the way. Today, I will fill my heart with Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you as those who can see a truth and rejoice in it and still struggle to keep our hold on it. So we thank you that you keep your hold on us. We cannot slip away. Help us just to to be clear-eyed of the enormity of these truths of Jesus. To love him, to see what does it mean to spend time with him, to fill our hearts and minds with him. Give us grace for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.